Welcome to Mucky Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Andy, and with me is Tessa. Hello. And Dr. Sam Morris. Hello, friends and enemies. You don't say hello to your enemies. You had a chance, Tessa. This week, Tessa is standing solidly on her own two hands. Sam gets deja vu. And I break my promise because I'm a lying liar who lies. A lot. You sit on a throne of lies. Liar! The best place to sit. Much better than that iron throne. It, it, it really is. It's comfortable. It has Serta. I was about to say, are lies, are lies soft and fluffy? Like, do they, like, make your spine aligned? Oh, wonderfully well. Uh, the lumbar support on lies is perfect. They're like that pillow that you get, and, like, the first week that you use it, it's the best pillow you've ever had. And then, like, on day eight, you wake up, and everything hurts because it has turned to mush. Um, what, what kind of pillows are you getting? The lie kind. The kind that lie. The kind that lie. <laughs> <laughs> that, first, that first seven days, though, like, it's the best sleep you've ever had. Okay. Well, <laughs> anyway, Tessa, what did you watch this week? <laughs> I watched The Philadelphia Story. Okay, is this the crossover between... The Tom Hanks film and the uh, Never Ending Story. Does Falcor <laughs> save Tom Hanks from HIV? That sounds like a nightmare that I don't want to get into. Like that's that's a lot of '90s things happening all at the same time. What you just did there. Falcor is voiced by Denzel Washington. <laughs> all right, all right, Atreyu, explain it to me like a four year, like I'm a four year old. Where are we going? Okay. Uh, no, I watched The Philadelphia Story, which is a 1940, the year 1940. Hold on. Hold on. Did you just say The Philadelphia Story? Because that's what I heard, which means, is it about Phyllis from The Office? Yes, her last name is Delphia. Yeah. Are, are you quite done? I am quite done. It, the Philadelphia Story, for the last and final time... Is the 1940 screwball comedy directed by George Cukor, who you might know from My Fair Lady and Gaslight, amongst many other things. And it stars Cary Grant, Katherine Hepburn, and Jimmy Stewart, based on the play by Philip Barry. There, that's it. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> that, are you sure? Are you done, Tessa? That, that is the answer to the question that you asked. <laughs> Barry! Want that cream cheese? I'll lasso it for you. That was the Philadelphia cream cheese story starring Jimmy Stewart from It's a Wonderful Life. I hate all of us so much. <laughs> all right, so this is a classic movie. And Tessa, I know one thing about you. You love classic movies. I do. For some reason. Why did it take you so long to watch this movie? So this is actually, this is a funny story, but... I do know Philadelphia Story is a comedy, right? You don't have to tell me it's funny. 
It took me so long to watch this movie because I kept getting confused with another movie that came out actually the same year called His Girl Friday, which also starred Cary Grant and was about ex-spouses who get back together and is also a screwball comedy. And so for years, I actually thought I had already seen the Philadelphia story because I had seen His Girl Friday when, in fact, I had never seen the Philadelphia story. Have you seen the front page? Is this like a... a, No, I have not. I have not seen the front page, although there is a line in His Girl Friday where they say, put Hitler in the funny pages. Right. Well, uh, the the front page, for those of you who don't know, is the film that uh, His Girl Friday is a remake of. His Girl Friday is a good film. Like, this is me saying, it is a great film. Please watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the front page is like, um, like based off of the play. That then they turned his girl Friday. A- anyway, anyway. Um, I see. My problem with the Philadelphia story is I always get it confused with the fish that saved Pittsburgh. I've also not seen that movie. No, it was an actual fish. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Uh, anyway, that was a 1979 film, um, references of Pennsylvania city. So thus they're the same in my head because they were made before I died or they were made before (laughs) I was alive. Andy's got the Benjamin Button's disease. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I prefer, I prefer to think of it as Merlin disease. Do you die in 1989, Andy? (laughs) (laughs) I, okay 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 i i get it i get it i get my own my own i'm being hoisted on my own petard yet again a few episodes later <laughs> but what is a screwball comedy okay i know screwball mostly from bugs bunny when bugs bunny would pull out a cue card with a screw and a baseball on it to point to elmer fudd and call him an idiot there's also the quintessential looney tunes episode duck amok in which Bugs is animating Daffy and turns him into a four-legged creature with a flower for a head, and his tail has a flag that is screw plus ball. So yeah, that's that's where I learned screwball. Duck Amok is one of the greatest Looney Tunes episodes. Anyway, what is a screwball comedy, Tessa? So screwball comedy is a genre of the romantic comedy, a subgenre, as it were, that became really popular during the Depression and into the early 1940s. If you've seen the films It Happened One Night or His Girl Friday, you've seen this type of film. But basically, it kind of takes the romance of the romantic comedy and turns it on its head and sort of spoofs it or satirizes it in one way or another. It takes the traditional love story, puts the female character in like a more aggressive masculine position. And so there's more tension between the male lead and the female lead. There's a lot. It's characterized by a fast paced dialogue, which is works as a stand in for sexual tension. So one of the characteristics of the screwball comedy is that they were coming out around the same time as the Hayes Code was taking effect. And so they had to work around a lot of the restrictions of the Hayes Code, which had a lot of like, you can't have a lot of sexual content on film. You can't do stuff with like extramarital affairs. And so they worked around it in a lot of ways by having what we call patter, which is this really 
quick paced like back and forth dialogue between characters if you like Gilmore Girls Gilmore Girls is a show that kind of emulates this fast-paced patter in a lot of ways and like I said it's a stand-in for sexual tension a big part of the screwball comedy is also this idea of remarriage so a lot of these films have like like the Philadelphia story which I'll get here to here in a minute where there's a couple that gets divorced at the beginning of the film one member of the couple is going to get remarried and so they're sort of flirting with another person and then they get remarried to the original person they were married to at the end. This gets around the Hayes Code prohibition against showing extramarital affairs. I'm going to turn it over to Sam to actually explain the history of why it's called Screwball. So, true story. A screwball is a kind of pitch in baseball. It is a type of breaking ball It is meant to go the opposite direction that you think the pitch will go in, making it almost impossible to predict. It also will tear up your arm if you do it too much, which is why we don't use those in pitching today. But the whole point is, is that it is a kind of pitch that will go exactly the opposite the way you think that it will, which makes it a great way to describe these types of films. Okay. So that's the screwball comedy. Quick lesson in subgenre of comedy. We talk about why it took you so long to watch this. We talk about what this is, but we didn't, well, we, we thought about what this was, whether it be <laughs> a cream cheese lassoing thing, a crossover, a, an office spinoff. But really, I want to know, Tessa, what is this film about? So this film really centers on the character of Tracy Lord, who's played by Katherine Hepburn. Uh, Fun fact, this was actually adapted from a play by the same name where this character was written for Katherine Hepburn. So she had a lot of practice playing this character before she was Tracy Lord on film. But the basic premise of this film is that Tracy Lord is about to get married again and place her past marriage behind her. When her ex-husband, C.K. Dexter Haven, yes, that is his real name, who is played by Cary Grant, shows up on the eve of her wedding, he has found out that Sidney Kidd, the owner of a prominent tabloid, has blackmail against the Lord Patriarch and will use it against Tracy unless she allows a society reporter, Macaulay Connor, who is played by Jimmy Stewart, and his photographer, Liz Embry, to cover her society wedding. Hijinks ensue involving her ex-husband, involving this reporter who sort of falls in love with her as well. It's just, it's a lot of screwball comedy. There's really, you don't really know if she's going to get remarried to her husband, if she's going to end up with the Jimmy Stewart character, if she's going to go through with her wedding to, to Kitteridge, who is this sort of man of the people, like worked his way to the CEO of his own company kind of person. That's the basic premise of this story. Is is this the one that Bojack Horseman was making fun of with the reporter who would constantly be on the phone talking to her, uh, the person she's probably going to get married to? His Girl Friday. That That's His Girl Friday. Oh, so, okay. yeah, in His Girl Friday, the, the main female character, it keeps calling her fiancé to say she's going to be a little late. This is not that. Uh, so... Again, very easy to confuse those two films, even though they are actually very different from each other, despite the superficial plot elements that are similar. Yeah, 
yeah. Um, sorry, I just got distracted because I remembered uh, that his girl Friday is uh, is what Tony Stark calls uh, his uh, female Jarvis. Yep. Um. Anyway. But you. It, you know what that's a reference to, right? His girl Friday is a reference to Robinson Crusoe. Ah. Right, his man Friday. And so that's that's the joke there. It's like a joke twice removed, I think, by the time we get to Iron Man. Wow, WandaVision had an opportunity to make a great gag, and they didn't. Okay, so what did you like about this film? So I love screwball comedy. I think it is fascinating. I really enjoy it, the way that it kind of turns the typical romance on its head. It's very... it's. It is characterized by very, very clever, fast-paced dialogue, as I said, but I just don't get a chance to watch it very often. So I really enjoyed having the opportunity to watch this particular film. I really, honestly, like, I turned to Sam several times during the film and say, said, I honestly don't know who she's going to end up with. Because usually when you do, like, a romantic comedy, there's, the, especially one of remarriage like this or that involves a marriage or a wedding, there's usually two romantic options, right? There's the person she's getting married to and then the other person, whether it's her ex in the case of uh, Cary Grant's character or somebody else. In this film, there are three options. She could get married to Kitteridge. She could get married to C.K. Dexter Haven, her ex-husband, or she could get married to Jimmy Stewart's character, uh, Macaulay, who goes by Mike. It's also complicated by the fact that his photographer... Liz Embry is clearly also in love with him, even though she's doing this thing where she's like, I'm waiting for him to grow up. I'm waiting for him to grow up. And so there's a lot of different ways that this could play out. And honestly, this film does a really good job of misdirecting you in different ways until the last possible minute. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and and just say, uh, Tessa, that you forgot the obvious option, which is she doesn't marry any of them. Well, but that's not a, that's not part of the romantic screwball genre. Like she has to get married to somebody in a traditional comedy. Okay, so so apparently there is a death sentence hanging over her head if she doesn't get married to somebody. Yeah, literally. Actually, that is true. Like that's the other part of the comedy. If she doesn't get married to somebody, it becomes a tragedy, and she has to die, either figuratively or literally. That is literally in the DNA of filmmaking and storytelling at this point in history. I hate you for taking my joke and then turning it into something serious. No, I'm saying, like, you're right. You are absolutely right. Read it, Jane Austen. (laughs) Okay, well, uh, do you recommend it? Yeah, I think I do. There's a lot of stuff going for this. Uh, Like I said, there's there's some classic lines. Sam said one at the very beginning. Uh, There's a moment where... Cary Grant's character makes his entrance into the family um, and they're all having this conversation and the camera just like pans over to him sitting by a fountain like he wasn't there and then suddenly he's there and he says hello friends and enemies and it's just this like great moment in the film there's another really great I mean there's so many good moments I can't even quote all of them no please do do your top 23 moments (laughs) There's Number this, seven will surprise you. <laughs> There's this other great moment where he's in a fight with Tracy Lord and they're having this like 
they're rehashing their entire marriage and like the history of everything that the other person did. And he says something along the lines of like, he's telling her how she sees herself as perfect and she's this like unapproachable goddess. And he calls her chaste and virginal like the moon. And she says, oh, stop using those foul words. Which calling like chaste and virginal foul words is just like the antithesis of the hate what the Hayes Code was trying to do. So it feels like a real dig at at the the code of ethics that was supposed to guide filmmaking at that point. There's a lot of really good class commentary here because Tracy Lord is obviously part of like this one percent. Like she lives in this mansion with this pool. Uh, Macaulay Connor comes from like a lower class and so does uh, her fiance Kitteridge but uh, CK Dexter Haven is clearly from her class like they grew up together so there's a lot of tension between these two different characters or the all these different characters and their class uh, and the classes that they come from there's a really great character in the form of her kid's sister who is like what is she like a preteen at this point? And she just like, I think she was like 23 in real life. Oh yeah. I'm sure she was like much older in real life, but she's like a preteen and she's hilarious. Like she's clearly on the side of CK Dexter Haven and is like trying to like get them back together. Uh, I mean, it's just great. And you know, if you've seen my fair lady or gaslight, you know that George Cukor is an excellent filmmaker and loves 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 putting his female characters in fantastic costumes with fantastic hats so if you want to see some really wonderful hat design this is the movie for you um i would really recommend it i recommend all screwball comedy i think that it's great um it happened one night is a great film as well the only the only thing that i will say is that this is a film of its time the very first scene involves um carrie and i'm not joking like Cary Grant's character literally, because it's showing them breaking up at the end of their marriage and she's kicking him out of the house, he literally grabs her face and throws her to the ground in the very first scene. And it's played for laughs um, because, like, he doesn't punch her, so it's fine. Um, And so, like, obviously there is that kind of, like, abusive element, the slapstick element, which can obviously not be read very well today or at least not in the same light that it was back in the 1940s. So I, I will say that. I will also say that her dad is a piece of bleep, and I hate the fact that he never really gets his comeuppance in the film because he says like the most horrible things to her about halfway through the film, and it really disturbed me that everything seems fine with him at the end. Like I was waiting for like something terrible to happen to him, but it didn't. So that would be my only two real objections to this film, but otherwise, very enjoyable. I laughed a lot. I'll probably watch it again. Well, this week's topic, because um, this is a great thing to talk about now, because I decided it was, um, what are we all looking forward to for the rest of the year? Oh, okay. You want me to say more? Um, So I'm looking forward to, well, nothing anymore. Thanks, guys. But if I was to be looking forward to something, it would be... No Time to Die, The Eternals, Spider-Man, and The Matrix. Movies. Movies are fun. Remember- All three hours of No Time to Die? All three hours and and maybe the 90 minutes of Carnage. I don't know. But like all these movies that were promised to us that they are allegedly going to stop holding back on. So we're going to have this 
I'm not going to do it. I can't even I can't even do the frenzied release metaphor thing. I'll leave that to you. What about the KOTOR remake? We we were announced, we were told this week that there are two remakes coming out of games that we have talked about on this show. We talked about I talked about KOTOR near the beginning of Monkey and they're making a remake of it. And Sam talked about Alan Wake also, I think, in the third episode of Monkey. And they are making a remake of that game, too, which I think comes out next month. Well, they got the monkey bump. There you go. It was because of us. You know that, right? Yeah. 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 People were like, we want these games to be remade. Well, for, for me, I am looking forward so much to the Wheel of Time. Yes! The trailer really for the Amazon's Wheel of Time really hit me in just the right way. It looks like that they've got it, and which is another thing that we talked about on this show. What a coincidence. I really didn't plan this. I, I'm telling you, people are like, they're, they're, uh, they're feeling what we're talking about on this show. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm looking forward to some other things, too. Uh, the Cowboy Bebop show from Netflix, the first images are out, and uh, that looks pretty dope. New God of War movie, or not God of War movie, the new God of War game got its first trailer this week, and Thor looks awesome. I like the the, the look of Thor in this game. Uh, there's a lot of people who don't, for reasons that he looks nothing like Chris Hemsworth, but I think he looks more like the real Thor. If um If you haven't seen this picture, please... Please do yourself a favor and Google God of War Thor and you'll see the concept art for Thor in this God of War and it is uh, glorious. It is so glorious. He is so fat and so Norse. I'm also looking forward to Tiny Tina's Wonderland, which is a spinoff of Borderlands based on a character. It's actually based on a DLC from Borderlands 2 in which a character, you are playing a game that is basically a D&D campaign run by another character, but now we're getting a whole game and the trailer looks amazing. Like I, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. All right. Uh, other things I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to the Foundation series from, from Apple. That looks pretty good. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting time to finally watch the Steve Martin Martin short true crime comedy, <laughs> The Only Murderers Only Murders in the Building. Only Murders Left Alive. <laughs> yeah, The Only Murders Left Alive. There, there's so much good TV. I don't think Hawkeye is going to be very good because the trailer looked like a CW show. You know, at some point we have to do a supercut of all the times we've said bad things about the shows that we spent hours and hours and hours talking about that was the prequel to this very podcast. I, I, don't, I don't remember uh, what any of those were. I, my, my, my mind is blank. Um, state. You're, like, you're like, whatever. We, we never even met each other before we recorded the first episode <laughs> of, of Monkey. Yep. Just went in completely yep. blank. I'm also, I'm looking forward to, uh, what's it called? Uh, oh, shnikes. Um, help me out here, guys. We, we just talked about this before. The Matrix. The Matrix Resurrections. 
Yes. I'm I'm 100% more excited for Matrix Matrix Resurrections after seeing this trailer. Dune also uh, getting good reviews. Like, like, like we got some good stuff coming out. I, I, no, I, legit, the, the reviews for Dune are good. And, and no matter what anybody says, no matter who complains, you will still be able to watch those last two movies we talked about on HBO Max. So, ha. Also, Picard season two. I don't know if it's going to be any good or not, but I am just, like, psyched to see John Delancey play Q again. That's all. Oh, yeah, Q. That's right. The best character in Star Trek. So, we're going to need a bleep for this, Andy. But there's actually a line in the trailer where Picard says he's too old for Q's bull****. And it just made me so happy. What, 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 other, what, what other movies are, are, are we looking forward to here? Um, Sam? You got anything? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say that these are new movies per se because they're not. But two things I'm looking forward to pop culturally is in a couple of weeks, Tessa and I are going to embark on our X-Men rewatch, which will manifest itself on the podcast in December. I also decided to to throw Tessa a bone and we will be rewatching the Lord of the Rings extended versions uh on Christmas Eve I believe it is um and we will yes we will be watching them in 4K so yeah oh um I really thought one of you was going to jump on this I really did I'm looking forward to Nightmare Alley. I have no idea what that is. <sighs> okay. Nightmare Alley is an upcoming American psychological thriller film directed by Guillermo del Toro. All right, I'm in. With Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Willem Dafoe, Tony Collette, Richard Jenkins, Ron Perlman, Rooney Mara, Tim Blake Nelson, Mary Steenburgen, Jim Beaver, and others. And others. Every time I hear Willem Dafoe's name, all Willem. I can think of is, yeah, how I met your mother. Willem Dafoe! Willem Dafoe! All right. That, and that is all we are looking forward to. Nothing else in our lives no. is good. Nope. All right. Sam, I have a very serious question for you. You've seen High School Musical before, right? Yes, I have. I've also seen the first sequel, High School Musical 2. And, you know, occasionally I like to check in on what the youths are interested in. And I know, I know what you're thinking. They're interested in that? Really? Well, I mean, some of them are. But also, I also know that you're thinking, are you just trying that to be cool with the kids? No. No. No, I know. There's no way for that to happen. Anybody who tries looks terrible by comparison. But sometimes you can weaponize this knowledge in fun ways, and so I enjoy that. But yes, I have seen High School Musical for the same reason that I read Twilight. This was a much more pleasant experience than that, though. 
You heard it here first. Sam uses knowledge about youths to weaponize it against them. So, what you watched for this week. Is it a remake? She asks, once again, having watched it with me. So, High School Musical, the musical, the series, is a streaming series created for Disney Plus that is inspired by, but is not a remake of, the film. I'll give you a minute to emotionally recover from that sentence. The basic premise of this series is that a Utah high school puts on a musical based on the film High School Musical. It is shot in a mockumentary style, uh, so this is the second time we're invoking The Office. However, if you remember, shows like Parks and Rec and others that have come out since The Office use the mockumentary style, but there is literally no one documenting them. You know, the, the late season of The Office, you know, broke that fourth wall and showed us the documentary crew, but that was the last time we ever acknowledged that there's an actual documentary happening. So it's mockumentary style, but it's not a documentary. It's just a show. Um, the other thing is it was filmed in Salt Lake City. So this is like a, I don't know. I miss Salt Lake City. I was there in 2019, should have been there in 2020 and 2021, didn't get to be. It's a actually pretty cool place. Okay. So what is this? spiritual successor but not a remake about all right so basically we have what it's about is so you have the main character nini played by olivia rodrigo and she's playing vanessa hudgens's role in the production within the show her character nini has two moms much like uh, rachel's two dads in glee and then we have Ricky, played by Joshua Bassett, who's playing Zephron's character, Troy. He is not a theater kid, like Finn from Glee. You have Miss Jen, played by Kate Reinders, who is basically a regular-sized Kristen Chenoweth, who does everything that Mr. Shu does in Glee, except rap. You have Mr. Mazzara, the STEM teacher, who isn't anything like Sue Sylvester at all, except he is. You have EJ, who is the summer theater camp dude. He's clearly the villain. I'm not going to make that comparison. I think Glee might actually be cursed, by the way, that show. But this, this shares a lot of DNA with Glee. There's some really great characters in the show. I'll talk about those in just a second. But I need you guys to sum up the show. I need you guys to stay with me here and just let the following happen. So he was a boy. And she was a girl. Can I make it any more obvious? He played guitar. She did musical theater. What more can I say? He was a skater boy. She said, see you later, boy. After he didn't say I love you back, when she sang a song with a ukulele, five months from then, they're in the same show. But she's not all alone. Her new boy is going to play the lead. But guess who she sees? Skater boy, rocking up the lead. She calls up her friends and parents. They already know. And they've all got tickets to see the show, including Ricky's mom. She tags along with her new boyfriend and stands in the crowd. Nini gets back with the boy that turned her down and gets accepted into a prestigious performing arts school. You have no idea how hard it was not to sing along with that. And also, people, just remember. 
Sam put in work. So eventually when we do make a Patreon, this is the high quality content you can expect from Monkey. Why'd you have to go and make things so complicated? Let's make our way downtown to the next question. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. So, we all know you really watch this for a very specific reason. Do you have the Olivia Rodrigo Joshua Bassett, Joshua Bassett dish? Yes, this is the portion of the podcast where grown adults comment on the relationship of adolescence. Yeah, that's not going to happen. But here's what I will tell you. Um, so back in November of 2019, the first season of this show premiered. Uh, in 2020, Olivia Rodrigo got that sweet, sweet record deal. Back in November 2020, after being delayed for COVID, filming on season two begins. January of 2021, driver's license drops. April, Deja Boost drops. May, Good For You and the Album drops. And so does season two of High School Musical, the musical, the series. So without getting into the uh, Olivia Rodrigo, Joshua Bassett, Sabrina Carpenter of it all, we watched the first season knowing all the drama that had happened between them and seeing that the, seeing, you know, them having to play, you know, this, this duo that has broken up and might be getting back together, knowing all the drama, which hasn't happened yet. So that was pretty funny. Season two uh, is filmed while all of this is happening. So, and there has been comments about season two of the show being off a step because of these issues. So it's, it's a really interesting thing because we, we have this long history in pop culture of actors who have been involved with each other and just hate each other, but get along and, and make films or in Fleetwood Mac's case, make music. I mean, it's a whole thing. I, I wonder how much more difficult it is to manage when you're talking about adolescence. So, you know, that's really kind of a, a downer. But yeah, I mean, I watched the show because I wanted something to just take my mind off of everything else. And also, we both dig Olivia Rodrigo a lot, you know? So it was, it was cool getting to see her do her stuff in the show. And it was overall, it was a good experience. So in this post-sour world, will you be watching, will you be watching season two? So clearly there have been some minor spoilers here so far. And if you care about that cover your ears for about the next 10 seconds season two uh the musical is beauty and the beast i found that out today while i was looking stuff up for this segment and that's that's super fun but the reason you know i recommend it it's a good time you know what you're getting into if you know anything about the high school musical property or really if you know anything about disney period or glee <laughs> um, but there's some really great characters in here, other than, you know, the, the mains that I already mentioned. Big Red, Gina, Ashlyn, Courtney, Carlos, Seb, they're all fun characters. Characters that, you know, no matter what your age is, you can probably see yourself in, either because you're going through some of those things, or you went through some of those things. You know, so it, it, it's got a lot to offer. I mean, it's still Disney, but it was enjoyable. 
So yeah, recommend. I will be watching season two, and I think you should too. But only if you've seen seen season one first. I don't think the original show is a prerequisite. Andy. This this is Andy. Sam, aren't you telling everybody that you should watch everything in order? And this is me. No, I just said you didn't have to. But for Sam, it's a requirement. I still haven't seen High School Musical 3. I wish I knew any songs from it so I could make fun of you and, and make a great joke, but I can't. Don't worry, Andy. Stick to the status quo. We're all in this together. So... Good morning, San Diego. I'm Ron Burgundy. Andy, isn't Castle in the Sky one of the big Miyazaki movies? There are two things I know about you, Andy. One, you are smarter than me. And two, you love anime. What made you decide to watch this now? And didn't you promise no more anime for a while? What gives? Thank you, Sam, for totally not reading the exact question I wrote out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Castle in the Sky is the third movie by uh, director, animator, uh, amazing, uh, creative auteur Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, Tessa spoke about uh, one of his movies, Spirited Away, earlier. But basically, the reason why I watched this after promising no more anime for a while was because... My lovely, lovely wife, Sarah, and I were watching a new anime called Fena Pirate Princess, which is one of the new uh, new, new available on uh, Crunchyroll animes, but it's really, really good and really, really high quality. It's uh, being funded by Adult Swim somehow. Um, anyway, Sarah keeps going. This is reminding me so much of Castle in the Sky. We have to watch Castle in the Sky. And so, this week, during my free time, to watch a movie, I watch Castle in the Sky. Great Odin's Raven! Did you watch the version with Luke Skywalker, Sookie Stackhouse, and Dawson Leary? <laughs> um... No, no, I, w- I watched the, the actual uh, the Japanese language dub and not the uh, <laughs> the American <laughs> English dub with Mark Hamill, Anna Paquin, and James Vanderbeek. For those of you who don't speak pop culture nerd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta pull up my notes here. And I'm not he, cutting this, so. He is very, very proud of that joke. Yeah, should be, should be. So I'm I'm actually I'm not too versed in Miyazaki. I usually find uh, anime films to be kind of boring and overwrought. For whatever reason, my attention span's not that great for animated things for two hours long. Like, not 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 my thing. And Miyazaki has a tendency to just kind of make a world and just do kind of a slice of life thing in there. And and I'm I'm all about slice of life. I'm just not about two hours of slice of life. So yeah, I didn't watch it. And then I watched the, uh, the, the Japanese language version and uh, 
yeah, it's it's wonderful. Um, I have heard very good things about the English dub version. Uh, if you were a kid who grew up with a blockbuster, you probably saw Castle in the Sky often in the uh, animated kids movie, family movie section. So, Castle in the Sky by the beard of Zeus. How does a castle float? Next time you're asking me the question, Sam, I'm going to write some of the worst <laughs> questions for you to read. So, Castle in the Sky. How does a castle float? I don't know. That's a mystery, Sam. Maybe you should watch the movie and find out the answer to the mystery instead of asking me. Great Knights of Columbus. That hurt. <laughs> okay. Let me, let me go ahead and actually say what Castle in the Sky is about. So, it's uh, it takes place in a world where... Certain countries in our world exist. It's a little weird there. It's a future kind of steampunky world. <laughs> For those of you not watching them, uh, they are both giggling like schoolgirls. <laughs> who just said something very, very mean. I don't what Sam is doing could be qualified as giggling like a schoolgirl. It's like straight up crying through through laughter. I'm going to give Sam a little bit longer because this is this is painful to watch. And I'm not cutting any of this out, by the way. I know. This, this is all this I know. is all going to be in there. I just think it's funny that, you know, so you get two episodes in a row that are cut within an inch of their lives, and then every third episode you just get everything. Like I, that's a real thing at this point. It's, oh. all right. Tell us about the movie. I think I'm done now. So the movie, in a lot of ways, reminds me of a certain era of Disney, and that era is surprisingly the Aladdin, Little Mermaid era of Disney. There's this thing about uh, Miyazaki's films where they are a little bit more serious than than Disney films typically. They have a little bit of humor, but but not much humor comparatively to Disney films. And this being his third movie and still pretty early in his storied career has a lot of really good comedic moments in there. Essentially, to, to break it down, Girls in a Giant Zeppelin. Giant Zeppelin gets attacked by air pirates. The air pirates are after the girl. You don't know why these uh, sky pirates, air pirates, uh, who are floating on steampunk things called flopters. They're like fly helicopters. It's really cute, really, really fun. Um, you don't know why they're after why they're after her, and she jumps off of the the building or off of the the zeppelin plummeting to her death except she has a magic stone around her that lets her slowly fall and she falls into a mining town where a young boy named Pazu finds her who in many ways is like Pazuzu from the uh from the exorcist no not at all it's a very very kind boy and they go on adventures and that's really the entirety of this movie is it's one of these swashbuckling adventure movies where 
two kids are way out of their element. They're in danger. They're being chased by by a, a government and a, a bunch of sky pirates, and uh, they go to different areas, and it's all to get to the castle in the sky, Laputa, the uh, the legendary castle in the sky, uh, as referenced by one. Jonathan Swift in Gulliver's Travels, which again is weird. This world is clearly not uh, our our Earth, but <laughs> they literally say, "Yeah, no." In Gulliver's Travels, like this Lavata, the uh, the castle in the sky, and they get there. It's all arcane punk. It's it's really cool. Um, Miyazaki has a real talent for drawing really creative scenery and kind of letting you see how nature comes in after bad things uh happen uh you, you know like the destruction of an entire country living in a castle in the sky it's it's really really beautiful but it has a very lighthearted and fun feel to it at one point when uh Pazu and the girl's name is Shita when they're being chased by the pirates, they go through this mining town, and there's a moment that feels like it's from Beauty and the Beast, where, it, you know, it's a mining town, so there's big burly miners, and then these big burly pirates come out, and uh, and they're like, ah, oh, the pirates are chasing us, and the miners get up there to to block, you know, they got suspenders on and white t-shirts, and they get up there to block the pirates, and then it turns into a flexing contest to see like who can burst more out of their out of their shirts instead of actually fighting it's really adorable it's like old school irish uh i i, I it just feels like a an irish town and then there's a giant like fight and and it does the dust cloud thing it's so cool um yeah yeah th this is one of those movies it, it it doesn't have a unpredictable story it doesn't keep you guessing what's going to happen because you can tell at the beginning what's going to happen, but it is so creative and inventive and the animation is so impressive that uh, you should watch it. It'd be like animation. So really quickly, before I read the last question you wrote for me. So this isn't our world, but it's like an adjacent earth. Is that what you would say? Yes. So like yes. this morning when we saw the release date for Avatar 5 in 2028, that is an announcement that was meant for an adjacent Earth in which they're actually releasing those movies. So it's like that, right? Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, well, that's meant for an adjacent Earth where anyone cares about Avatar. I'm not really sure that's any Earth, but sure. Um, <clears throat> so because this is very important, I'm going to read the last question that you wrote for me. So any good? Is Miyazaki any good? Yes, Sam, you ignorant slut. You stay classy, San Diego. <laughs> Next week, we're covering Bond. Woo! What does that mean? I don't know. Next week, Bond. The week after that, more Bond. So where can we find you, Tessa? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. 
Sam, where can people find you? In a glass cage of emotion. On Twitter, at Sam underscore Morris 9. Join us for our two-week extravaganza on all things James Bond. That's what Bond means. Oh, James Bond. Uh, I got it. From the GoldenEye video game. Yes, we're going to be doing slappers only for the next two weeks. Both of my co-hosts will wish that they could slap me. What do you mean, will? Okay, you can find us on Twitter and everywhere else at Monkey Backlog. You can email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Andy Noted. Please email us anything you want us to talk about. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, you know, Talk to us about future episodes, anything pop culture related. Uh, that's all we have for today, people. So uh, get the monkey off your backlog. Guys, we're officially an episode ahead. We did it. Yeah.